This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We are back in our spiritual home. It is the Putney Exchange Centre. It is me, David Law. It is, hello, Catherine, where to go? Hello. Hello. With your kiddies' lunch pack that you've brought I didn't with you. No, it was a kid's snack box when I bought it. No, but it's a, it's got a I cheese really, board all of its own. I really feel like mini cheddars should be available and marketed children and adults alike. Yeah, and we brought uh, Grad Matt with us. Grad Matt, hello. Speaking of children, yes. yes. Um. Somebody half my age is in the vicinity, uh, and we are the tennis podcast brought to you in association with the Telegraph. We have so much tennis to talk about because we have not really been with you for the last couple of weeks. Of course, we. Have had our questions special that was recorded in the dead of the night after the men's singles final that Novak Djokovic won in Melbourne. Um, you might have been able to tell. Uh, sentences were not being strung together uh, with their normal fluidity. And then we had our special from the Fed Cup with Laura Robson and Claire Balding and Joe Jury and all that jazz. Uh, but we are now back together. So, folks, where to start? I think where to start is with the current world number one and her coaching situation. Uh, we're going to get on to all the results and all that kind of thing. There's so much happened. We'll, we'll go over the Fed Cup as well. But it is, I know it's a few days old now, the fact that Naomi Osaka is no longer working with uh, Sasha Bayan. But the fact is, it's pretty extraordinary the way it's happened and also the words that we've just heard that Naomi Osaka has been using to describe the fact that they've separated she's over in Dubai at the moment um, I think the gist of what she was saying is that she had to get through the Australian Open which is which is pretty remarkable isn't it to, to consider that she won the Australian Open when she was in in a she had a coach that she just didn't really feel that comfortable around yeah I mean she referenced the, the, the sort of first feelings or, or manifestations of the feelings being in Charleston last year um, when she lost in Charleston uh, she came off the court and she talked about kind of feeling down didn't she and she, she now back references that as a symptom of her or at least partly a symptom of her dissatisfaction with 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 that relationship with that arrangement which is extraordinary uh, given that she's won two Grand Slams and risen to world number one in the meantime um, yeah I mean the, when the initial story broke with with a, a tweet from Naomi Osaka it was it was not a warm tweet there was it was all about what wasn't said she didn't say anything controversial but 
it was even less warm than the Djokovic Agassi split tweet, <laughs> and that's saying something. Um, and then obviously there's there's kind of been a void um, until she's she's rocked up in Dubai this week. She's she's done a roundtable. She's given some um, some quite interesting quotes, particularly to, to Courtney Nguyen for the WTA and um, and Reem Abalil as well, um, Sport 360. Um, again, I, I still think there's a lot of interest in, in what's not being said. There's definitely big, pregnant gaps there in what she's not saying. Um, but she's saying she was happy <laughs> and she puts her her happiness and her mental health ahead of her success on the court and and she and she's confident enough to say I believe I he's not the reason for my success she's not slagging him off and saying he had nothing to do with it it was all a disaster um, you know you were all deceived by the whole thing she's just saying I'm the world number one thanks for everything you've done it's not worth me being on you, you you don't make enough of a contribution to my success for me to want to be unhappy for it. And she says she's looking for another coach. She's um, she's a, a, a Japanese um, player whose name I hadn't heard of. This an ex player this week in Dubai, but she said that that's a, a stand-in sort of role. Just so she's got someone there with her in what must be a very turbulent kind of a a week for her. On, over on, there. The, on the face of things, it it looks like madness. She's been with this guy for a year. She's won Indian Wells, she's won two Grand Slam singles titles and she's become world number one. What's not, what's not to like about those results is what people might look at um, uh, uh, regarding that split. Again, as you say, we don't actually know if there's a sort of an incident or a series of incidents that, that have gone on between them. I actually think we've heard more about it than than I would normally expect to hear about a coaching split because she has, in her in her actual interviews, as you say, in Dubai, really been quite forthright and quite open, um, or at least detailed, at how much she's not telling us. We have no idea. Um, but I, you use the words mental health. I, I think that that's so interesting that a player... We so often see a player just follow, don't we? A player just get told what to do by a coach or a parent do it win and just don't question anything else in their lives except that and she's actually showing yeah correlation isn't causation is it there's a lot more to her life than tennis yeah and and that she had the potential to to be a world number one and and two-time grand slam champion before Sasha Bayern was ever a part of her life um and yeah, I mean, the, work, the, the w- without knowing the full story, and we genuinely don't, do we? I don't know anybody that that does. Um, obviously, there's plenty of off the record speculation, but I really don't know of anybody that that knows what went on. Um, so, without knowing that, the word that strikes me is discomfort. She seems to have been uncomfortable um, with him for for whatever reason, and and. These these are people that you 
I mean, the relationship between a coach and a player is... It can be a really weird... I mean, it's, well, not, no, it's not a normal amount of time to spend with somebody that you're not choosing... You know, you're choosing for reasons... I mean, yes, you have to have a connection with them, but you've not chosen them purely on the basis of how well you gel with them. I can't you think of another thing quite like it. If, no. you, if you think about team sports, a, a football club or a rugby team employs a coach and employs the players, and here you've got the player, who's the boss, employing somebody to tell them what to do in order for them to be better. And, uh, I mean, it is, it is a weird combination. And it is such a precarious profession, isn't it? Uh, look at Simona Halep. She, she finishes with Darren Cahill. She has a trial period with Thierry Van Klimpert, who's in uh, Australian Open coaching David Goffin. They split halfway through. He comes on board and coaches her for, the, for, for half a week. To, to sort of get to know one another. Is it more or less time than the Connors Sharapova coaching relationship? Because that's my. <laughs> might have been even That's less. the benchmark for. It was the longevity. Well, it, never, it never got off the ground. It was well, that never was, moved beyond the trial stage. That this was one, one match. Where <laughs> yeah. Sharapova was one match with Connors, um, and I, I'd actually forgotten that one. Crikey! Um, but I think he's probably put a few quid away, so he's all right. Um, but Thierry Van Klimpert has actually been with several quite high-profile players in, in Belgium um, and Goffin for five years and then he came to, to Doha he was in the, the support team box throughout the week, she reached the final her level of play against Alina Svitolina was just oh. awesome and it was an inspiring match, one of the best matches I've seen all certainly this year and up there with the, probably in the top ten matches I've ever seen um, yeah, it was, it was unreal, that just match. Just mind-blowingly good. You and Joe Jury were high-fiving in the commentary oh, box, I believe. <laughs> I was. I tell you, I was looking for other people who I didn't know <laughs> to high-five. Um, and but then, she, as you pointed out, Matt, she didn't um, get Van Clean put down onto court no. at any stage mm. during the week. And Van Clean put has been very honest with his assessment, saying, I didn't help her this week. You know, she reached the final because of her own qualities, um, you know, her own merit. And Isn't that nice to hear? It's yeah. really good to just be honest about it and say, look, this isn't a relationship that's going to work. He said he prefers working with younger players, he said, and sort of developing them. But, you know, Hallett's been world number one. She's in a completely mm. different position to other people that he's worked with in the past and that isn't something that's going to work so why go down that route just put an end to it already for me I see on the basis of absolutely no <laughs> personal knowledge of Simona Halep other than having interviewed her a few times and you know seen what we've all, all seen um, I believe that Simona Halep is on a journey to realising she can do this on her own it's all about self-realisation self-fulfilment all of those um, sitting around the Joshua Tree type words I think it's about her realising she might choose to bring somebody on She, I, she, I don't think she's going to spend the rest of her career without a coach but I think it's, it's she's going through a process of realising hey actually I don't need somebody there necessarily well something Darren Cahill said maybe a year ago or 18 months ago was that he thinks that you have probably four or five years with a player when you just deposit all of your knowledge you give them everything you've got and they probably don't need you after that um, and that's I mean she didn't have quite that long with him but she definitely w was saying in in the interview she gave with Courtney the other day that 
I, I want to just think about what all those things that we learnt together and that he told me over the over the period of time. And and, and I think you're right. I, I could definitely see. Whereas Osaka has said she plans to get a coach in place before Indian Wells, um, Halep you get the sense he's going to just see how this goes a little yeah. now uh, and and I could I could see her doing it I could even see her having a period of time without a coach and then Cahill coming back yeah I mean there's the, that relationship is by no means you know over done and dusted we're not we're not talking no. anymore I get the impression Cahill's probably texting her on the sly coaching all the time and that and that must be a little bit difficult for a new coach yes. coming in if yeah knowing that that You're relationship still is still ex, there yeah. exactly um, but just just to say on Osaka I think clearly there's been some kind of personal breakdown in their relationship but equally we, sh- we probably shouldn't be as surprised as we are when these relationships with coaches end after a period of success because we keep seeing it we've you know this stat that's been sort of banded around this week is that the reigning Grand Slam champions on the women's tour are no longer with their coaches you know Kerber stick with Fissette Halep's no longer with Cahill and now Osaka and Bain go back a little bit further Stan Stevens and Kamal Murray now they've all got their own individual reasons but there is a trend there of sort of reaching the top of the mountain and then where do you go from that where, you know resetting the goals is, is a difficult thing and sometimes fresh ideas and a new coach might be a way forward um, yeah it's like you know Novak Djokovic did that he reached the mm. top of the mountain shed everybody around him realised that wasn't the answer and went back but maybe he just needed to go well probably did just need to go through that you know upheaval process to had he just carried on with Marion Vida and his team he probably or might not now be achieving the results that he is it's because he went through the the woods do you think that he's the, come out the other side do you think that players have coaches because that's what you do when they get to a certain level I think level? there's some of that mm. I mean I definitely feel like that that's happened with the super coach mentality I think that that's part of the reason Djokovic was so excited and wooed by the idea of Agassi is because that's what you do you know he did it, he'd obviously done it with Becker that had worked um, and, and and the idea of having somebody in your box that you want to impress you know yeah. when Federer brought on Stefan Edberg I think it was because he was not struggling f- for motivation but struggling for for sparkle maybe and having his childhood hero in his box and wanting to impress him that Gave was significant that. it wasn't just a big name for the sake of or oh, everyone's getting big names that was a really specific kind of if you could have anybody to coach you at tennis who would you have Oh, who would I have? Oh, Mary Carrillo. <laughs> right, Mary. Uh, any chance that you know Catherine's what looking? If she's ever considered it. She'd be a hell of a coach, wouldn't she? She should just basically be all of our life coaches. Yeah. And yeah, what if just... she's ever considered it though? Okay, Answers right. On a postcard, Mary. Let us know, Mary. Who would you have, Matt? Um, I mean, he's not available yet, but Andy Murray would be good, wouldn't I'll he? I'll have Magnus Norman. He's oh, the best coach in the world. Shout. Isn't he? Come on, what a coach. Discuss. Magnus Norman. Right, what else have we got to talk about? Uh, let's go from current time backwards. What happened last <laughs> week? Um, one thing that happened was that Riley Opelka uh, won his first title. And, uh, and he's 6'11", although apparently closer to 7'0". 
and he it's the seven for arms race yeah. isn't it he beat he beat in the semis he beat john isner six seven seven six seven six including a, a 16 14 tie break and uh, there were 81 aces and john Is that isner, one no one showed up to watch <laughs> Catherine there, blunt <laughs> as ever. Uh, Come on. Do, not that how many much, people if I, turned what, up. What money, if I told you, if I gave a crystal ball and I said, this is the match that this is going to be, which we all had because we knew that that was the match that that was going to be, what, how much money would you have paid for a ticket? English pounds, bearing in mind David's forgotten his wallet today and money is <laughs> of extra value. At a premium. Uh, <laughs> I have forgotten my wallet. Catherine's bought me a very nice big coffee to see me through the day. That's the sort of spirit we have here on the Tennis Podcast. How um, much money, David? Uh, Pounds and pence. <laughs> oh, going back, to pence. My, going back to my coins of uh, the Australian Open. See, I get in free these days. So I, 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 find oh. it hard to, I find it hard to... No, look. What a dodge the, that is. The, the, the better way to put it is the, the thing with those sort of matches, I would sit through them for sort of... Freak value, and that's kind of just the, exp- the how silly freak can Freak value, get? ladies and gentlemen. I, d- I, d- <laughs> I don't mean to, to be. Oh look, I'm I'm a freak. Everybody knows it if they look at me. Um, and I'm not talking about their height. I'm talking about the absurdity of how silly it might get scoreboard wise. But that's what I, that's the, that's because there's not an awful lot to get your teeth into. I always remember back in the day. Pete Sampras played Guy Forget in the final of Queens in 1995, and I remember uh, the presenters. I think it was John Inverdale on Five Live at the time saying to Tom Gullickson, I think it was, who was the pundit, "How do we get infused by this? Because there are no rallies." And he and he said, "Well, you just have to enjoy the the quality of the serving." And unfortunately, that wasn't enough, and that's one of the reasons why they slowed the sport down. How long did you enjoy the freak value for in Anderson v Isner at Wimbledon last year? Well, that's the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't in- enjoyable tennis by the end. It was just get over the line mm. somehow, somebody. Well, you know, this is the this is what I kind of think of like an Isner rule. Like moments of Isner matches are in- brilliant, te- brilliant, and intensely interesting. But normally they're tie breaks because you've got a bit of jeopardy. Suddenly you can win the odd point. I mean, I can't against the Isner serve, but players can, and therefore you get tense moments in tie breaks. So, you know. I would watch. I would, I would watch the Isner Opelka tie breaks. They'd be great. There'd be, yeah. there'd be yeah. all sorts of intrigue. And sixteen sa- fourteen, he saved six match points. Mm. Opelka, you know, and that that is great. But it's the journey to get there which you have to kind of endure. And it's it's the same with the final in a way with Opelka. I I tuned in for literally the last twenty minutes. Who's, I this, thought, who's this guy? He beats it's Braden Schnur, who is. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sounded great. He's from, I have no idea what he sounded. He's from said it Canada. Correctly. He doesn't okay. bounce the ball when he when he serves. Like, oh, I'm like all a, for that. Like a Thomas yes. Enquist. Um, Thomas Enquist didn't bounce the ball. No. I thought he did one. No, he didn't. I was I was looking this up and I need to he look didn't this bounce up. the ball. I've watched, yes. How old were you when Thomas Enquist reached the Australian Open final, Matt? Ninety nine, wasn't it? I was uh, two and a half. Oh, God. <laughs> Can we just end this? But, but with YouTube, I you, can You've confirm. got a better memory of Thomas Enquist than we have. This is depressing, What, 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 what bothers me is I, I spent 15 years watching the entirety of Thomas Enquist's career, and I was not aware that he... spent only... about eight years watching him play on the Champions Tour. <laughs> and I didn't even know that he didn't bounce the ball. <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway um, 
this Braden Schnur is actually the second the second week in a row that a guy without an ATP win has reached an ATP final because in Cordoba two weeks ago a guy called Juan Ignacio Londero reached the, reached the final and then won the tournament and this Schnur reached the final in New York and then lost to a Pelka have you got any uh, what's the other chap's name Juan Ignacio Londero have you got any Londero quick facts no <laughs> well I just gave you, you one you won in Cordoba yeah. okay no, no, he bounced the ball what four times <laughs> yeah possibly right um, okay infinitely more than Schnur was he Argentine mm. yeah because they because I've, I've felt for, for Cordoba that um, Del Potro didn't play, mm. um, so I'm pleased that they had Argentine success. Okay, can we just give a quick note uh, of appreciation to John Isner for getting 92% yeah. first serves in in a tennis match? <laughs> How did you do that? That's sort of, yeah, that's the when you equivalently s- brilliant stat to that terrible stat of Tatiana Maria with her oh. 7% first, second first, what was it? First serve, uh, I mean, 7% yeah. first serve. An in. entire match when you only miss your first serve four times. Absurd. Uh, and and in, in the match against Apelka, he got 88% in and he still <laughs> lost. Apelka <laughs> served... 86 aces in his last two matches. And I believe Apelka is a tiny bit taller than him, yes. or at least claims to be. Oh, that must be annoying. He's the, it is. He's the first seven-foot player. and uh, He feels like he's finally fended off Ivo Karlovic, who I know isn't officially retired, but he's a, a, a fading lot, force. A lot of people think that Apelka really could do something in the sport. You know, he, that, he, can, he could serve. Well, he can but win big. Have you have you read that? I mean, he's 21 years of age. I think he's had some some injury issues the last couple of years. I mean, lit- literally getting used to that body mm. and putting it through the rigors of professional tennis when you're a teenager. I think that's a real challenge for for, for him. Doing it, all the flying. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. oh it just rip all the other seats out. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he has won this title at 21 and. The, there are people that Brad Gilbert has said it for a couple of years now that he thinks of all of them he's the one and, and Andy Roddick said on social media today he's he's good he's of all really of good. the young Americans as yeah. in of all of Tommy Paul and Taylor Fritz yeah. and TFO TFO yeah wow I mean I know Patrick McEnroe rated, has rated TFO as the highest of them all for a while now but Apelka just what do you do if that guy is serving yeah. well hmm. I mean, but then we we said that about John Isner for hmm. 10 years and isn't it going to be interesting, though, when Apelka... See, this is where I look at the big servers. Yes, when they come up against each other, it's a tough watch. Yeah. But I've always enjoyed watching Milos Raonic against Andy Murray, Oh, for yeah. Instance. They are, Contrast they, styles. All yeah. I'm talking about is two playing no, one another, just as there are other contrasts of style. There are other star match like, matches that just don't work. I remember when, um, when Karlovic was serving ace after ace, and then I think it was about 08, he played Federer at Wimbledon and about third round and Karlovic hadn't been broken all the way through the tournament and in the first game he was broken by Federer and it was just watching this genius trying to decode this serve and blunt it was fantastic so yeah we got about 15 years of that to look forward to <laughs> <laughs> so well done Riley Apelka who else has won stuff this week we've, we've had um, 
Elise Mertens, who we yeah. must mention, who had had a terrible year up until now. She'd she'd only won, I think, two matches all year. She'd lost third round of the Australian Open. She'd lost first round in the in the other Australian event she played. She'd lost both of her Fed Cup mm, matches. That was the one for me the week before. Yeah. She against France, she lost at home. Yeah. Um, both of her Fed Cup singles matches, and then just suddenly got on a roll. She lost no sets at all in the um, in the routes through to the semi-finals. Ended up playing Kerber, won that in three, and then she overhauled Halep from six three two love down, and Halep had just won eighteen points in a row. She, I, the, I've never seen Mertens play that well. No Australian Open semi-finals last year, but. Um, uh, I was really blown away by Elise Mertens. The the strength of it, the timing. The t- I know you don't think of her as a power player, and that's I think partly because of what she looks like. Actually, if you close your eyes and don't look at her sort of stature, she actually yeah, gives the right. ball a good pelt the, because the, her the timing's time, the so timing good. The timing is the thing because she, she's not giving these agricultural swings. She, yeah. She, but the ball is. She off can the change the direction on the ball so, but you don't know where it's going. Mm. Um, and yes, yeah, so impressed with how she turned it around against Halep, who looked to be just a woman on a a total mission after that win over Svitolina. It's it seemed just sort of destined. It seemed like okay, you've you've got over the big hurdle. Now it's a not a formality. That's unfair to Mertens, but hers to lose certainly. Yeah, and actually, those are two pretty significant mental triumphs I would say both for Halep over Svitolina who gave that wonderful quote afterwards that I I decided I was never going to give up against this player again because she admitted she had done twice in Rome uh, and was 2-4 down in the head against against Svitolina and in the match itself she was 1-4 down and I, I mentioned it earlier just if you get a chance to watch it this match again just try to suspend your knowledge of what happens because I, I, I can't think of a more uplifting tennis match than, than what I witnessed for those three sets yeah and Halep it's possible she she ran out of steam a little in the final she had a she had a, a lot of exertion in the Fed Cup didn't she I mean Simona Halep PS really wants to win the Fed Cup I didn't see I only saw sort of points here and there and some gifts of Simona Halep in her Fed Cup matches but there was a look in her yeah. eye my goodness I mean she leapt over the team bench to go and congratulate <laughs> the doubles when they'd won you know it was yeah. fantastic Someone to see that that passion Fed for Fed Cup, Cup Simona Halep is coming for mm. you and that's how it felt she so. beat Pliskova yeah and then she and she beat Siniakova didn't she mm. yeah so that they were without Kvitova weren't they I yes. think the Czechs um, but still, beating the Czech Republic 3-2 in the Czech Republic. They, they hadn't lost at home for 10 years, Ooh. Czech Republic. They hadn't lost in the Fed Cup on home soil for a decade. And wow. and it went to the deciding doubles, and it was Siniakova and Kretschikova, the Wimbledon Roland Garros champions from last year. And so you're thinking, well, you, you know, your money's on them, but... Nicolescu and Begu, wasn't it? Up and managed oh, to upset David them from a set down. Of women's tennis. Monica Nicolescu. <laughs> that's what they call her now, David. Yeah, that's right. Done you proud. I, I was impressed. Wonder how she gets on against Solly Hall Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed. What'd you that... do, Monica? <laughs> Help me out. Sorry. I imagine the ice would be slice and dice. Yeah, and win. I've tried yeah. that. It doesn't work. Uh, but it was it was impressive for Hallett after the physical and emotional exertion of a Fed Cup week to to fly all the way to um, Doha and really you know reach the final. Um, and yeah, the thing about Mertens, as you said, you know, 
you saw a more impressive level of tennis from her this week than ever and she basically said that as well she values this title more than reaching the Australian Open semi-final because she beat three top ten players in a row um, Burton's, Kerber and Hallett and those you know, are, those are huge blooming wins. big wins yeah. uh, huge. T- talking of um, massive uplifting sights on a tennis court we saw a few of those in Rotterdam um, talking about Denis Shapovalov rapping well that was a, a particular did moment find, did you find that massive and uplifting I, I need to watch it again just to just to to, conf- to really really hone in on the lyrics fully formulate my view on the it's subject available on the internet folks yep the internet producers again um, <laughs> and so I will be going to watch that uh, after this podcast the I mean, he, he actually had a decent week. He got to the semi-finals, didn't he? And he, I think he got a win over Thomas Burdick along the way. But really, the tournaments uh, lost a wrinkle in the quarters. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Quarters. It's it's memorable that tournament. Obviously, for Gail Monfils winning it and doing an amazing job at it. But I almost feel like I, I'm going to remember it more for Stan Wawrinka. Um, his shot making, the joy that he brings certainly to me when I watch him and, and, and the effect he has on tennis crowds the, the combination of, the, of the, the gall that he has to go for some of the shots that he goes for makes you gasp doesn't and he and the fact that he can pull them off with this flourish and then he unleashes that roar he's, and he's, he's started roaring before the crowd know it's a winner yeah. hasn't he and it just goes right through you it gives me goosebumps watching him and considering where he was a year ago I remember attending his first press conference in Australia ahead of his comeback and he, he just decided to come back in Australia because I've, and in his words I've got to start somewhere and his knee when you looked at him he looked like he was on somebody else's legs they didn't seem to really belong to him he lost to tennis sanguine didn't he yeah and it was really I felt I mean it wasn't as, as hard as watching Andy Murray but it it was going towards that. You, you. Well, I, thought, I, well, I thought we were looking at a finished. Several play, months after that, honest. I sat courtside to watch him play Andy Murray. Oh yeah. At Eastbourne, and that was, you know, Murray ended up losing to Kyle Edmund the next round in what I found a really depressing, depressing match from an Andy Murray perspective. Um, and I know Stan on grass is is never been, it's never looked quite right, um, but it, <laughs> the fact that he lost to Andy Murray in, in two. I think it was two pretty convincing straight sets. He was in a... I mean, that was late June of last year. He was in a bad way then, a really bad way. And I thought... I looked at both of them and I thought... And they were were playing these rallies and there was almost this smile on both of these faces... Both of their... They... It was something more than the respect and warmth of two players that have been through injuries, two players that have, have... Sort of, it, they have they have so many things in common. You know, the fact they've muscled into 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 the big three, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there was this look on both of their eyes of the person who wins this match is going to be the one that's least crook. You know, we are both shot here. That's what I saw in them. So to see Varinka, I'm not going to say vintage, but I never thought he'd be anywhere close to what I saw in Rotterdam this no, he week. Like anywhere himself, close. Didn't he? he looked yeah. like himself. Yeah, well, he, well, and and the wins that he got back that up. Who did Vavrinka beat again? So he beat Pear, Raonic, avenging that defeat that he had to against him at the Australian Open, which I must say I thought was one of the underrated, most brilliant matches of that tournament. 
and the first yeah, was, and the first glimpse of Wawrinka showing the kind of form that he had, you know, two or three years ago. Uh, and then he beat Shapovalov, as we've mentioned, and Kane Shikori, who... Oh, I saw quite a bit of that. That was that was a th- it was like a throwback, wasn't it? I and mean, because we've seen quite a bit of this generation mm. that kind of I don't know. Nobody quite knows how to pigeonhole that generation of Dimitrov and Raonic. Vavrinka doesn't deserve to be in that because he's done so much more than those other players. He's also older. Well, he is. But I do love the way this, these older players are just refusing to go away. And it, it struck me when he was playing Monfils in the final that you've got two guys there. They don't need to be playing tennis. They're doing it because they still believe they've got more to offer and because, well, they must love it. And, and I found that really just heartwarming to be honest I, enjoy, I loved watching those two and, play and, and the thing about Wawrinka is if he can keep this level up and maybe go up at even a, a couple more notches he is going to be a really significant player this year because if there's one guy who can trouble Novak Djokovic in a grand slam it's Stan Wawrinka you know yeah. he's, we've seen certainly that. in Paris he's a complete wow. he's a, two finals he's beaten him in is it, is it two out of two? Well, he, so he yeah, beat him in New the, York and, yeah, and Paris. Paris. Yeah. And then he also got him once in the quarterfinals yeah. of Australian Open. And he, yeah. is, he can be a complete wrecking ball to anyone's game in any draw. Yeah. And He has that ability to be a wrecking ball, but also to keep it up over best of five sets. Exactly. There are other wrecking balls out there, but not any that you'd trust exactly. to do it best of five. That's why they call him Diesel, isn't Diesel. he? Diesel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Federer comes up with all the best Stan Wawrinka nicknames, doesn't he? <laughs> Stanimal and Diesel. Um, it's not fair to talk about the event without talking about the bloke who won because Gael Monfils is probably certainly one of maybe the top five most frustrating talents that tennis has had certainly in the last 20, 20 years or so because you've, I've certainly felt at times that we're going to see more from him that he's going to break through I remember when he played Nadal in the final of Monte Carlo and he'd beaten Dimitrov and Federer to get there and he looked like he was just going after his shots in a way that he's never done before or since and, and I still feel a little shortchanged by his career but when we're talking about Naomi Osaka and mental health I think that, and I don't know Monfils, but I just get the sense that he's another case study of somebody. It's not fair to just have a one-size-fits-all approach to assessing. I think there's a lot more that goes on with him. I think there's a lot more that goes on with every player. And, well, I'm just pleased that he's got another great title on his CV and hopefully he will do more. Yeah, I mean, I went through a period um, after that year when he teamed up with uh, Michael Tilstrom and reached the uh, US Open semi-finals. That was the most significant result, sort of culmination of their their time together for me. Um, I went and I really thought Monfils is finally happening. You know, there was definitely something about that relationship that worked, and and he obviously said, "We're, we're going for this now. Like this is this is it. This is we are going to whatever." whatever it means we are going to fulfill your talent and then and it was all going really well and then that semi-final happened and it was just so weird and awful Djokovic in that year that Vavrinka beat yeah 2016 yes, 2016 and it was a six love first set and he came out he came out not believing he I, I thought he had watched the Simon Mm, um, early match, that year, uh, from the Australian Open earlier that year, when Simon took the seemingly completely 
the unassailable Djokovic. This was Djokovic that where it was a, a headline for him to drop a set. Simon took him to five by completely slow-balling him and giving him junk, basically. And Monfils, who... I know he has a lot of variety in his game, but that US Open in that year with Thielstrom, he wasn't playing that way most of the time. He was playing proper tennis. He was believing in, in himself. Not proper tennis, but you know what I mean. He was playing... The, the tennis that he's most capable of the most effective tennis for him and then he got into that match and stepped out in the court and just thought oh I'm not good enough um, I'm gonna just do weird things and stand eight metres behind the baseline everyone just went oh and I, f- I felt a little bit depressed at times watching Monfils and things I've just thought I've really believed in you and you don't believe in yourself um, and that's sad and I don't know I've just felt this sort of icky feeling of I I, I, I believe you want it somewhere in there I want it for you but it's just not going to happen but I, th- I think what he believes he wants is not necessarily the same as we assume that all tennis players want uh, I think there's some, some of this in Nick Kyrgios I don't think that they define their success or failure in terms of just sheer titles no, alone. No, and I'm or, completely fine with that. You know, I, think I, that d- I don't think lumping him in with Nick Kyrgios is fair. I think Nick Kyrgios wants it an awful lot more than he tells us. But wouldn't he work harder if he did? Wouldn't he? Oh, we've been through this. I think he's, he's afraid to admit to himself how much he cares. Yeah, but I but I think if he works harder, then he'll be. I think what they share he'll be common, really failing. If you don't try, you can't, you can't I, fail. I, I know what you mean, but it's our definition of what's success and failure. We're putting that on them, aren't we? Um, I think that they what they share in common is a love of 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 moments, of experiences, of making the crowd get up on the feet and go, "How on earth have you just done that?" The buzz, and whilst historically that is an underwhelming thing to take with you because you can't put that in the record books I think that's maybe what gets them going well it's Monfils kind of he's been a highlight reel player hasn't he he's been he's been took me 10 minutes to say that (laughs) (laughs) he's he takes joy from it and that's that's kind of the only this sounds blunt and maybe a bit cruel but that's kind of the only joy you can take from Monfils's career because he's had these moments but you've also had to talk about him with sort of modal verbs and could have should have might he's, he's never fulfilled he's never fulfilled anything that he's promised you know this is his eighth career title I mean that just isn't many for a guy this is this is technically his biggest title I think he won Washington was a 500 yeah. this is a 500 so, you know, in terms of pure sort this of This was a guy points. that won in the year that Andy Murray won the US Open Juniors, he won the other three, three. Junior Slams. But I think, so if you, if you take all that away, you can just enjoy Monfils as a tennis player, but he's, he's frustrating because you want him to do more. And I find it very difficult to watch Monfils without that sense of frustration. I, I try and not let it creep in. I try and just enjoy the moment. There are people that are quite happy to just enjoy the there show. Are, there are. are. Some tennis fans. And I actually think but probably maybe even the, the, the casual occasional tennis fan is particularly quite hmm. happy to just say, you know what, I don't care about how many slams he's won. Yeah. I just want, it, I want those moments. But it's the same with Nick Kyrgios, isn't it? You've got to... You've, you, I said that. You've got to... You've got to get to the moments. 
you can't just show up for the moments. You, usually you have to win through three grinding rounds against Guido Pella to get to the big moments. Well, there's no question that Kyrgios um, has really been disappointing the last year or so. No um, question about it. But, uh, but to, to, I don't want to hop back on that uh, US Open semi-final too much, but it really I, I, it was such a seminal Monfils moment for me because I, I had accepted him as a, a showreel, big, a moment player and he didn't go out there thinking, I'm going to do a moment here. I might lose, but this is going to be swashbuckling. Well, I felt the same. This is going that, to be a game on went That out. Monte Carlo final I referenced ahead of that, that's, I've, I had that same sensation, mm. having seen him beat Federer and just knock him off the court. And, and it felt like he was, he was ready to impose himself on, on everybody. And I really, I was, I'd been won over by him in that, in that week. And we never really saw it again. Um, by the way, Catherine, we, we've been in this Putney exchange probably about four years. Nobody's ever said modal verbs, have they? <laughs> I don't that's know my, what one is. That's, that's, my, language, that's my language degree team. coming out. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but the other thing about Monfils is I actually picked Svitolina to win in Doha because I thought she was in a really good place off court and just yeah, playing got good tennis Instagram account. And, but that also applies to Monfils he does seem to be in quite a good place he was, he was a lot more focused a lot more intense on the court I know we have seen this before but if he's in a good place at the moment you know, his tennis can follow um, but it just I don't want to get too carried away about this week for Monfils it's great as an as a achievement on its own but I think it's difficult to talk about the big picture because we have seen these things before. I'm not sure he's necessarily changed this week. I'm glad you brought up your uh, failed prediction for Svitolina for Doha, uh, Matt, because that was in, in our newsletter predictions of which Catherine went for Angelique Kerber to win Gems Doha. Gems Life, sorry. That's their, um, that's their Instagram, their joint Instagram account, Gems Life. Right, OK, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, which I believe is... It's their initials G, Gail, E, Alina, M, Monfils, S, Vitalina, yeah. Life. Well, it works. That's what people are doing now. Is there an apostrophe in there or not? Isn't it written like Friends or something? With, is, is, is it? With, um, right. with the full stops between that all the letters or something like that. That is going to be awkward if they split up. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. who gets custody of the Instagram account? You can edit them, though, can't you, the yeah. Instagram accounts? What, right. you're just editing your new partner? <laughs> hope it fits um, should say uh, Catherine's just been trying to distract us from the newsletter predictions which we made uh, so Catherine went for guesses in David's case Catherine went for Kerber and Svitolina for Doha neither happened no, I, I, went no, 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 no. I went for Kerber Matt went for Svitolina I think that's an honourable we got the two semi-finalists let's high five Matt no no you both said that they'd win and they didn't at least uh, we at least it was, a, at least we it was honoured, a prediction we honoured the competition yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to let you say this David because it's so <laughs> it, it, this has annoyed me so much I went for so great I've got to go and have a wisdom tooth taken out in five minutes. Don't put me in a bad mood. Well, let's just down here for another five minutes after that, Matt, and then I can get it out, yeah? Uh, I said that Britain would draw Fed Cup at home, and they did. Literally a toss of the coin. You predicted... I guess. You predicted heads or tails for our newsletter... Which you can sign up to, folks, if you'd like to. Predictions yeah. every single week. Hashtag in our, quality content. In our newsletter. I mean, it genuinely mostly is quality content, but that was absolute drivel. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Catherine did get very upset, but I got it right, is what happened. So, uh, what else have we got to talk about? Karen Hatchinov is having a bit of a bad time yeah. uh, at the moment. Four wins, four losses for the year, and he said he's having health issues. Oh, I hope he's all right, because yeah, he seems like a nice bloke. Marseille. Yeah, mm. that sounds to me like, I mean, that doesn't sound injury, does it? It sounds like illness, sounds like, I don't know, it could be anything, could be... It's not uncommon for players to have um, mono. Mm. Is it glandular fever? That's it. Sounds yeah. like something in that direction. Um, People were saying he changed his racket. He has, yeah, he's, for a yeah. new sponsor. Which I remember. That's not a health issue, David. No, I understand. We <laughs> can send you a bit. You know, um, I remember way back when I went to Miami in about 2000 and or 2001, and Marek Safin was at the top of the tree, and he changed rackets. Uh, I think from head to Dunlop at the time and he was so dissatisfied with the version of the racket that he got given that he he was taking his old racket and just painting it the old colours which um, I believe is not that uncommon the new colours rather for them to um, just play with whatever racket they want and and have it painted in the start of this game went south and Federer last year mid-season started playing with a load of white paint in sort of the middle of the head suspicious and then and then he reverted back to the all black frame and and as far as I can tell it's the same racket it's actually just sort of when he swings the racket he he sees the white and against the black he didn't like as much as what he used to prefer with the white against the red Djokovic did it as well didn't he after he won that first Australian Open he changed the head which is the same move that Hatchinov has made it's not going well for head no (laughs) oh well You can still sponsor us though, folks. It's absolutely fine. Um, I play with a head. Do you? Yeah, it's right. going all right. Well, I mean, yeah. it's all relative. Rematch it? hasn't happened yet. Sit five years on. Um, Matt, uh, what happened in, where was it? 
Buenos Aires this last week? Was that, that that's yeah, one that's of the tournament right. we yeah. haven't covered? Um, yeah, that was won by Marco Cicciannato, who's won his, his third career title. Uh, and he's, he, only, he's only won 33 matches, and he's got three titles. He's the last person to beat Djokovic at a Grand Slam. Indeed. Who, who'd have thought I'd have come up with that? Just me, a year is a long time in tennis, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Less than a year is a long time in tennis. But and I think this does raise this does kind of raise an interesting point about the way these tournaments are scheduled because Diego Schwartzman, okay, he was playing doubles in uh, Buenos Aires with the guy who likes to play all the time, Dominic Team. But Schwartzman, you know, they kind of have those sort of what is it, split session semi-finals, and Schwartzman was on really late and then had to come back reasonably early the next day and he's not one to get jobs done quickly no Diego Schwartzman is he he was cooked in that final I mean Cecchinato is a delight to watch on clay when he's on why because he spreads the court just amazingly with that one handed backhand he's obsessed with drop shots he does too many but when they work they're they're fun um they're and kind of fun either way, though, aren't they? Uh, dro- drop shots, drop shots are, are funny. Boom, yeah. tell me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love drop shots. Don't tell Joe Conta that because it didn't go well for her. But in, even uh, even that Australia. sort of brain cramp element to drop shots, you can't go wrong. Can and you, yeah. Andy Murray definitely thinks drop shots are. Hate. Do you remember when he kept doing them? Brad Gilbert couldn't conceal his disgust. <laughs> he tried to ban them. Didn't he <laughs> yeah. do them to? Wasn't uh, Gilles Seymour injured once in? I want to say it was Monte Carlo or something. And Murray just kept drop shotting him, and the crowd <laughs> were just sort of doing that French hiss that they do. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Gilbert tried to ban drop shots the way he, tried, he actually banned Andy Roddick from wearing a visor. <laughs> Remember, oh, I remember that. that, yeah. On the subject of Gilles Simon, we must mention Daniel Medvedev. Yeah. Because he's the other bloke who Timoni Carriol mentioned on, on Twitter the other day that it was one of the moments of the year that Medvedev actually tried to beat Djokovic at his own game and outlast him at the Australian Open. And I remember being, I was courtside commentating on that. And that's exactly what he was trying to do. And for a set, well, two and a half sets, he did it. It was just so interesting to watch. And then to watch him wither physically yeah. and, and be unable you, to handle it anymore. Can you imagine how good he'll be when he hits puberty? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go, folks. I thought I'd just uh, <laughs> leave you with that going to leave us with that little line and go off and have a wisdom tooth out and take her little packed lunch wish box me luck, with her. people. It actually says on the label kids snack box <laughs> it um, might be my last solid food for days so yes. I thought I'd go out on a high okay. a cheese string high hope it goes well Catherine um, thanks sorry so, sorry Daniil I think you're a fabulous player yeah. and what, what I mean you know he's got some filling out to the do best is yet to come those all Catherine say well, few of them do he kind of looks like a sort of lanky assemblage of shortcomings doesn't he he's sort of he's like he's got explain a, yourself well, not listening <laughs> explain yourself in that he's got slightly weird technique and he doesn't look like a top tennis player and yet he's brilliant he's he's what are these shortcomings well i've just he, said he's he, assembled he's his strange technique and the fact that he's not built like a lot of the other there's top there's nothing guys. wrong with being lanky no absolutely not <laughs> I am, um, but and yet he's he's sort of he's kind of cold, and he'll just beat you. And I, know, he, I know what you mean. I, you do watch him, and you think, "How are you doing this? Mm, he's how are you winning all these matches against these people who are more powerful, got bigger muscles, and are grown-ups?" But yeah, and he's really good. He's sort of 
he's deceptively good because um, he's but he's weird because he's he's quite sort of methodical and mechanical and yet there's this mystery around him no one quite can understand what makes him so good obviously he's got a big serve yeah. uh, and he's so solid from the baseline and he was he was absolutely carving through the draws in Sofia where he won the title and he was going you know great guns in um, Rotterdam before Monfils stopped him so he and he's barely got any points to defend on the clay so he is really one whose ranking could rise and we've been talking about Hachinov as the Russian who is you know I still think he will get in the top 10 Hachinov but Medvedev could also get there as well yeah yeah, and, and he he also doesn't care what anybody thinks no. does he he's not not he's even not, a little he bit. He doesn't seem the slightest bit bothered that everybody else talks about Sitsipas and Shapovalov and all the other players ahead of him and Zverev. He just, yeah, fine, I'll just go out and win stuff. Um, so I think, is there anything else we've forgotten? Anything of great note? A Davis Cup finals draw was made this week, presented expertly by the now-departed Catherine Whittaker. <laughs> Uh, over yeah, we've left it a bit late to talk about that, really. Yeah. Haven't we? Well, she did a good job. We know that bit. She nailed and it. Britain have drawn Netherlands, and um, they've also drawn in the group stages Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, which is the same as Britain have drawn in the Fed Cup World Group playoffs in April. I mean, that is as good as it gets, isn't it? I mean, no offence or disrespect to the Netherlands and Kazakhstan although I suppose that is I am giving them disrespect but that is not a bad draw is it? No it was about as good as it could get especially when probably the two maybe the two favourites for the title Croatia and Spain have ended up in the same group and also um, haven't the United States and Canada been drawn in the uh, same group? That's right yeah um, wow. and France and Serbia so I mean if Djokovic plays and there with Japan if Nishikori plays so really in terms of world ranking I think the only team with a lower kind of highest ranked player than uh, Kazakhstan and the Netherlands was Colombia um, yeah. so really we Britain got one of the best groups they could hope for I, I know it's not popular to say this and, and uncool at the moment but I'm quite looking forward to it I am <laughs> I mean, it's, nobody it's, wants to hear that for some reason but you know let's see let's see what it's like we have to give it a chance don't we I think there are elements of it which you know most people are accepting are probably not ideal but it could still be a brilliant event yeah it could. Right then, Grad Matt uh, and myself, David Law, here on the Tennis Podcast. Catherine Whitaker no longer here, uh, but we'll be back next week with another instalment of the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We are executive produced by TennisBalls.com. Our mascot is Rio with a Y. Listen, folks, make sure you tell people you know about the Tennis Podcast. If you like it, let your mates know. Let your Twitter followers know. Tell everybody you know, and we'll see if we can grow our audience and uh, keep this going for as long as we possibly we can do as many shows as we can uh, we've got myself and Matt doing blogs as often as we can we're doing our weekly newsletter now with our predictions in and goodness knows what else so make sure you sign up to that monitor our Twitter account we'll put our links on there uh, but for now that's it from us and we'll see you next week Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 